You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Thanks, Miz. Uh, so, hey guys, turn to the person next to you. If you've never met them before, introduce yourself. And then let's just have a chat about this question. What is a family? Go for it. Just like one minute. Have a bit of a chat. All right, you might want to wrap that up. Just a quick conversation starter here at the beginning of the evening. It's going to be interesting to see what we look at at the Bible and what it says about family and how much it might line up with what you guys talked about, how much it might challenge what you talked about, uh, how much it might get you to ask some new questions about family. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about family tonight. I think tonight could be an excellent opportunity for some excellent Q&A. I think Q&A could be really good tonight. So just letting you know that. And um, Joel, we might try and get that, that number up on the screen every now and then during the talk, just in case people want to text in their questions. Um, so, look, today's passage is pretty simple, really. It's short, doesn't have any particularly big words or re- sort of religious words that we only find in the Bible. It's actually got a fairly straightforward point to it. Um, but the, that point has massive implications for the way we think about family and the way we think about church, um, and particularly our church, given our vision, which I'll, I'll touch on in a moment. So what we're going to do is look at these verses at the start of the talk, and then we're going to spend quite a lot of time looking at the implications for our church at the moment. So uh, keep your Bible open with me and have a look at verse 46 of chapter 12 in the book of Matthew. In this situation, Jesus has a crowd following him. We're not exactly sure um, why the crowd's there, except that Jesus is an interesting person. Some people are very positive about Jesus. They're like, this guy's, this guy's saying great stuff. We love this. We're following Jesus. Other people are probably there because they're wondering if Jesus is dangerous, uh, if he's someone who should not be trusted. Um, but he's got a big crowd there, and the crowd seems to be so big that his mum and his brothers are stuck outside. Now, his mum uh, is already been in the story and she's very prevalent in Christmas and so on, but what we have also is his brothers. So yeah, Jesus had siblings. We also find out in another part of the Bible, he had sisters. So as far as the whole family, biological family thing, he gets it. You know, he's got brothers and sisters uh, and he's got his mum and dad. I guess they're technically half brothers and sisters because Jesus' father was God and then his brothers and sisters' father was Joseph. But, you know, you get the point. So he's got this biological, these biological family members are waiting outside wanting to speak to him. And we're not sure why they're outside. Maybe it's too crowded to get in. They just can't get to Jesus. Maybe they want a bit of privacy and they want him to come outside. If you read other bits um, of the Bible around this time, um, you know, placed in, in this sort of situation Jesus is in, they might have been concerned that Jesus was stirring up a lot of controversy and things were getting a bit crazy and a bit out of hand and they were like, oh, is this going to, you know, maybe we need to have a word to Jesus and tell him to scale it back a bit or whatever. But whatever the case, they want to have a chat to him. And so when Jesus finds out they're waiting outside, what he does is he takes the opportunity to 
do some teaching about family. And this is what he does, where he says in verse 50 um, of chapter 12, sorry, verse 48, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Rhetorical question, he knows the answer. And he points to his disciples and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. These people who follow me, who are with me, they are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus expands the idea of family beyond just blood relatives, beyond just the people that you grew up with, to this idea that anyone who's seeking to do the will of God, anyone who's seeking to follow God, is part of this wider spiritual family. So what this means in today's terms is if you're a Christian, uh, then you have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters here in the room right now. Uh, If you're a Christian, I am your spiritual brother, and you're stuck with me. (laughs) I was going to do the self-deprecating joke, and I did, but you came over the top with your sledge. (laughs) But I forgive you, sister. It's all good. (laughs) So, um, so... You know, this is, this is what Jesus is saying. This is the point. Now, some people say, oh, Jesus is like rejecting his, his mom and his brothers. But there's no reason to, to read that into the story, right? Um, we know from other stories that Jesus continued to care for his family. When Jesus was on the cross in agony, he asked his friend John to look after his mom and to treat her as if she was his own mom. We also know that his brothers did follow him after Jesus' resurrection and did believe that he was the son of God. So he didn't seem to be cutting off his relatives. He might, you know, we don't get the, the details, but he might have headed out straight after he, he did this little bit of teaching and talked to them, right? So he's not cutting them off. He's not going, they're dead to me now, and, you know, biological family are irrelevant. What he is saying, though, is when it comes to God, family is bigger than just these relatives that we have. That's the point of the passage today. The implications can be big. Uh, And it'll depend on your family situation. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family. And so this is like, this is like good. It's like, yeah, I want this sort of, I want this spiritual family. Uh, Maybe you've never thought about it before because your immediate family is doing pretty well and sort of loving each other pretty well. Um, But we need, and sometimes in Australia, we can almost worship that. You know, parents are often tempted to sort of almost worship their kids and so on. And, and Jesus will be challenging us to go beyond that and go, yeah, you definitely need to care for your immediate family, but other people are important too. Um, you know, similar if, you, if you're single versus uh, if you're married, that, then that'll be different again. Or if you're a kid or if you're a parent, you'll be seeing this topic from different ways. And then, of course, it affects the church because the church is basically meant to be a representation of God's family. So our church here in Diamond Creek, we've got this vision that we've got for the next five years. And we put this together late last year. If you haven't had a chance to read it, I encourage you to get the document and have a good read. But in it, there's some key lines, four key things that we put in this document. And Joel, we can put this on the screen, please. So we aim to be an intergenerational community, which is loving like Jesus, growing in Jesus, and sharing Jesus. And those four statements are going to be our four topics over the next month of preaching. And so today we're looking at this idea of being an intergenerational community, a generation being sort of a, an age group. So I'm in Gen Y, um, although you know, this is just a bit vague, but this is how people sort of refer to it. So I'm in Gen Y. I'm sort of one of the older Gen Ys. Some of you will be in Gen Y with me. Some will be Gen Z. Some of you, like Tim, senior message Gen X. Um, and so that's like... 
you rebel against everything and you hate the man and stick it to the government and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I'm nearly Gen X, so I've got a little bit of that, but I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a bit of Gen Y. So, you know, people split people up into these generations. What are we basically saying when we're saying intergenerational? We're saying that there's more than one age group, that there's lots of age groups. And the good news is with our church, going, if we include all our services and all the different ways, life groups and stuff that people can be involved in, we have pretty much every, well, we have every generation represented at our church in reasonable numbers. And pleasingly, we are overrepresented with young adults and well represented by youth compared to most churches in Melbourne. So we've got this representation, but that doesn't mean we are intergenerational. That might just mean we're multi generational. Think about your school experience. I don't know what high school was or is like for you, but for me, here's how it worked you, were, you had your year level, right? And you were to have friends in your year level. And that was kind of supposed to be enough. There was an unwritten rule that you really should just be friends with people in your year level. And then if you had a friend with someone who was one year above or one year below, oh, I guess that's okay. But we'll just keep our eye on you because it's a bit strange. And then if you went two or three years beyond your year level, it's like, whoa, what are you doing? If you dated someone three years beyond your year level, that was like, you know, the biggest gossip thing that could happen at school. And so it was just this thing at my school, and again, it might be different at your school, but it's just like, stick to your age group, you know, and that's like one year. And then when you finish school, the same thing happens, although the age groups widen out a little bit. But you'll still find in certain organisations, workplaces, sports clubs, churches, that people will just hang out with people who are the same age as them. That's what they'll do. They'll just move towards each other in that way. Look at where people are sitting today at church. You know, like it does happen, right? And so um, I, <laughs> um, it just happens gradually. We change the seating and then gradually people sort of just generally sort of move back to sit with people the same age. It's not a rule. Nobody's forcing anyone to sit anywhere. And I'm not saying that everyone's consciously doing it, but it just sort of happens. Continues to happen. And so that's multi-generational, where you've got people sort of around each other, but they're not mixing. Intergenerational is when you're talking to people across the age groups. We're having friendships across the age groups, where there's mentors across the age groups. And that is what we're aiming for as a church, to be intergenerational, which is actually more like a biological family, if you think about it. Because in the biological family, you have the kids and the parents and the grandparents, maybe some great-grandparents, aunties and uncles. You do have all these different age groups and those relationships across those age groups. And so this spiritual family that Jesus is talking about should include every generation and should include people being intergenerational. That's not dissing the fact that sometimes it is good to do some stuff with people your age, specifically. You know, we talked about Youth Unite coming up in a couple of weeks. Sometimes it is good just to get together with your age group and do stuff together. We've got a group that's sort of doing our preparation for retirement group at our church, and that's a good thing to do as well. So I'm not dissing that and saying never do that sort of stuff, but at the same time, overall, what we're aiming for as our church culture is that we have really strong intergenerational relationships. And we, and we believe this is something that God wants us to do. Now, lots of churches are trying to do this. Lots of churches are trying things, and it's very difficult. And it's tough, because as I said, in Australian society, we tend to just naturally group of people the same age as us. And that, again, it's not a conscious thing, but it just sort of happens. And so churches are trying all sorts of stuff. And what I want to do now is just tell you some stories, some from our church, some from other churches, on what people are trying 
in the hope that it creates some ideas and some conversation uh, and some things that you might be able to try yourself. There is no program that we can run to make this happen. We might be able to organise a few things, um, but overall it's going to be mainly down to individuals like you and me just taking initiative where we can. So, uh, one example is Linda Cridlin. Many of you might know Linda. Uh, Linda is older than me. She got annoyed this morning for, with me for outing her age, even though I did ask her permission. Um, but she's a, she's a fair bit older than me. And uh, she um, had never been asked to do youth ministry. And a few years ago, I, I got to know her a bit. I was like, oh, I think she'd be pretty good at it. So I asked her if she'd be interested in being a youth life group leader. And she's a bit surprised, but she said yes. And so she led a youth life group, which some of you were in, uh, of teenage girls. And it was, it was a really good group. You know, she, she led it well, and the group got along well. And even though most of them have finished school, they still catch up. I think they caught up last weekend, um, you know, and they all, all keep together. So there's really good, strong relationships in that group. Um, and what's more, Linda was coached by another person who was, I think, slightly older than her. And so every few weeks, they'd just catch up, and they'd talk about how the group was going, and they'd pray for the girls. And this other person, way outside the generation of the group members, these two people were really influential and positive in the life of that life group. Um, so that's a good example. Linda, when she finished leading that group, she's gone on to be the chaplain at the Diamond Creek Women's Footy Club uh, just up the road here, and that's got a lot of young players. So she's continuing to do that stuff across the generations in our community. So that's a good example, and that's why something can be organised. Um, some of you, uh, another youth life group story is that's hosted by Ian and Kayleen, who go to the 8 o'clock service, and um, they... You know, they host and they, they get to know people as they arrive and they feed the group and so on and, and they're well liked and well appreciated and there's those relationships going. They don't lead the group, you know, they're not the ones who are leading the study and all that sort of stuff, but they're just a really positive influence and, a, and another adult in the lives of those young people. So there's some sort of ways that things can get organised. But as I said, there's not going to be one program that's going to sort us out for a church as big as ours, you know, with over 300 people. So, we need to come up with some ideas. I'm going to show you a video. It's quite a long video. It's, about, it's by a Canadian guy called, uh, a Canadian Christian guy called Kerry Newhoff. And he and his wife got talking because their son was about to turn 13. And they thought, oh, his first year as a teenager, high school, etc. Why don't we make this the year of him being mentored and growing him in a number of mentoring relationships? So we're going to, he's going to tell that story in a bit of detail. And I hope we find it helpful in just the way we can take some initiative and try something out in this area. Let's have a look. Our 13. So, Jordan, my first son to turn 13, and I sat down, we made a list of five guys. And we prayed over it, and then I sent out an email to those five guys. And it was super, super simple. So easy. You can do this. If you've got kids at this age, if this resonates with you, there's no real template for it. It's just super simple. I emailed the five guys and I said, hey, would you consider being a mentor um, for Jordan and then a few years later for Sam um, in their 13th year? And here's what I need you to do. Over the course of the summer holidays, because our school breaks in summer, over the course of the summer holidays, I would love for you to spend one day with Jordan. You can do whatever you want. You can go camping. You can just hang out. You can do whatever you want. In the course of that day that you spend together with Jordan, just impart one spiritual truth and one life truth. 
When that day is over in September, as school is getting back, we'll have all the mentors together at my place for dinner and we'll do a wrap-up evening. It was that simple. So all five guys said yes. And in that, we're a mix of just friends and, and, and Jordan, and actually Jordan and Sam both picked my dad to be one of their mentors. And um, over the course of the summer, each of the five mentors spent time with my son. And I gave Jordan a little journal, and he wrote in that journal some of the insights that he learned from the guys. And uh, it, was, it was a really, really fun time. Uh, one of the guys, a friend of mine, took Jordan horseback riding and took him flying. Because he said, when I was 13, I always wanted to ride a horse. Nobody helped me ride a horse, and I always wanted to fly a plane. That day, we learned that Jordan is allergic to horses. So we figured that out. But not allergic to airplanes. So... It was, a, it was a lot of fun. They had a blast. My dad uh, came over from Holland when he was 19 years old. And um, we lived just north of Toronto, but um, my dad settled sort of west of Toronto originally in Hamilton, Ontario. Took Jordan from our house down to Hamilton, showed him the steel mill he worked in when he was 19 years old. Um, showed him where he used to deliver milk and bread and showed him where he used to landscape gardens just as a young immigrant. And then uh, took him to the church where... He met my mom and uh, took him to the house where I was born in around Windsor across the river from Detroit, showed him sort of our whole family history, then drove him back. Another friend of mine, Chuck, who's a pastor, um, also happens to be a police chaplain. So Chuck took him for a typical day, took him to some meetings at church, and then in the evening they rode the cruiser. Chuck actually locked him up in jail for a little bit and said, you know, you just got to be careful of this stuff. This is where you could end up. If you go the wrong way, that was fun. Put him in prison. So, um, so Chuck did that with Jordan. And then other friends took him canoeing and, and, and camping. And um, September rolls around, and we get all the mentors over to my place. So Tony, my wife, she left for the night, and it was just all the guys. So we had steak. We had Coke. There was no salad, nothing healthy on the menu. <laughs> It's an incredible night, incredible night. So we all sat down, and we, we, we just had this conversation over dinner. It was very unstructured. You know, it's guys, so you don't really know what to talk about, etc. And um, Jordan and I had gone out and got Bibles for each of the guys and had their name inscribed on them. And then as dinner started to wind down, um, I said, okay, guys, I, I want you to go and um, speak about what you see in Jordan and what you taught Jordan, but maybe we'll start with you, Jordan, and Jordan, you just go and talk about your day with the guys. Jordan opened up his journal and spoke into each of the men's life and said what he appreciated and what he learned. Then after Jordan was finished, each of the guys um, started to talk about him. And it was one of those moments where they just said, this is what we see in you as, as a young man, and here's what we believe God is doing in your life. And, and they talked about their day, and they shared a scriptural truth, and they shared a life truth. And after Bible, or after dinner, we presented uh, the Bibles to each of the guys, and then we gathered, we moved after dessert, we gathered into the living room. And I opened up my Bible, and I read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we read those verses I just quoted, you know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Teach these commandments to your children. In that wider circle, the community, we all gathered in. We all gathered around Jordan. And he knelt down on the living room floor, and we put our hands on his head. And we prayed for him. And it was just the most incredible moment 
And four years later, we did the same for Sam. You know, when it was over, all those mentors came up to me, and at one point or another over the course of the night, they whispered, I wish somebody had done that for me when I was 13. What I'm so thankful for is that both of my sons, what they do with that gift is up to them, but I've seen it at work in their lives. Both of my sons now have other voices saying the same thing a loving parent would say. I really like that last line, that you have other voices who are not your parents saying things to you that a loving parent would say or a loving family member would say. And a good intergenerational church will have that where people of all ages, not just 13-year-olds, but people of all ages will have those people outside their age group who are going to say those things that a loving family member would say. And that's the sort of thing we're aiming for. What also I really love about that story is there is no program there. You don't need an online sign-up or some sort of uh, you know, elaborate paper form or some sort of system or database to make that happen. It's just people taking a little bit of initiative and maximising those relationships that are there. Now, the bonus they had was that they had those relationships were already there. So he sits down with his son and his son can go, yeah, I've got these five guys I'd like to connect with. Not everybody has that, maybe because they haven't been coming to church that long, maybe just haven't had a wide enough circle to have those people outside their age group that you would need to do that. So one of our challenges at church is to widen that circle, is to create more opportunities for people to have relationships with people outside their own age group, um, as well as people in their age group as well. Again, I'm not criticising that, I think that's a great thing. Um, Lots of ways you could do this. Let me just throw a few at you as we move towards the end of the talk um, and you can sort of take them and run with them and adapt them and whatever you like. So if your life group is predominantly the people meeting, you know, the people meeting in there are the same age pretty much, why don't you invite someone from way outside that age group to come and visit for a night and to share their testimony and for you to ask questions about their faith and what it's like being their age and just sort of educate yourself and, and meet that person in a bit of depth. Um, As I said, at our church, we have every generation represented. So there are people from every generation you could ask. I did this with... um, I used to run these young adult conferences at the previous church I worked at. And we we love to invite older people, older mentors, to come to the conference. And there was one guy called Don who came along. Don was about 50 years older than me, maybe a bit more. I was in my 20s at the time. And... Um, he came and shared his testimony. It was fascinating. He'd been in the Air Force in World War II um, and become a Christian when he was a young adult and sort of shared that whole story with us. And he happened to be also in, in my dorm room on, at, the, at the campsite. And so I got to know him a little bit better. And I thought, I, I'd sort of recently become a Christian, started taking Jesus seriously. I thought, oh, this could be a guy that I could catch up with. So I asked if he'd be ready to catch up with me regularly. He said, let's give it a go. And so once a month for eight years, we would meet in Don's study and we would um, chat about what it meant to follow Jesus. And by the end of that eight years, we had another guy we'd brought along. I was you know, in my 30s at that point. We brought another guy in his 20s and we were meeting as a triplet. Um, and I should have told this story in the morning, but actually at one point, his wife, who was also very elderly, um, had Alzheimer's and gradually deteriorated. And so it was quite... A privilege in a way for me to be meeting up with him week, you know, on a regular basis 
as she deteriorated and as I saw her, her memory drop away and um, her ability to function um, disappear until the point where she died. And that was a sad thing, obviously, but it was quite a, an important thing in my life to see that in such a regular way and with someone I knew so well. So you never know what these things can lead to. This is just inviting a guy to come along to an event once uh, and, and then, you know, years later, got to go through that with him and, and be an important part of that. Um, what about some other ideas? Uh, grandparents are probably our best evangelists to teenagers at the moment, <laughs> um, bringing people along. Uh, some of you have been brought along by your grandparents to church um, or you know, people that generation. That's really great. I think that's a really good example for us to be looking at. Um, but really, the main stuff is going to happen with you know, just shaking your new hand at supper after the service, remembering someone's name, joining a group conversation with some people who are outside your age group who you haven't met before, and just deliberately trying to remember things about people and then asking them about it again and following up and just getting the ball rolling. And you don't have to do it one-on-one. -on -one. That's why I say the group situation can be good because you know, having like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone you've never met before um, is not always uh, the easiest thing, but in a group situation that can go really well. And so do it together. If you're really nervous about it but you want to do it, just grab someone else and go, hey, can we go and talk to that person together? Um, and just have a go at this stuff and, and get the ball rolling. Um, just briefly, specifically to the young adults, as I said, we are well represented in young adults at our church. Um, when everyone's together, there's quite a lot of, lot of young adults. And so I think actually it'd be pretty easy for young adults not to go outside their age group. And I think what happens is when you're a teenager, you really are keen to know those older people um, and you're really like, yeah, I'd love to be connecting with those young adults and, and be friends with them. And then when you become a young adult, you sort of go, go oh, I don't want to talk to the teenagers. I've finished school, I'm done, you know. And so that's the challenge is not to do that and not to go, well, because we've got a big young adult community um, or I've got plenty of you know, high school age friends myself to not take the opportunity to go beyond that. Okay? Um, again, have great relationships with people the same age, but also just take the opportunity to step out and introduce yourself to someone who's not in that generation. We're seeking to grow in this. This is a five-year vision. We're at the start. I haven't presented you with solutions. I've just presented you with a few ideas that may or may not work. Um, but the point is, we want to grow in this over five years. And we want this to become more and more part of our culture. Because we believe that that's what the Bible teaches. And that's how God sees family, as a family of believers, uh, not just a family of relatives. Um, and so that's what we're hoping to do. And it's going to happen if we all take the opportunity to do that. Um, and yeah, we'll program a few things, but it's mainly going to be down to individuals taking the opportunities that present themselves. But I did say we might organise a few things, so here's one thing that we're going to do right now. We're going to do the greeting of the peace. So this is a, like an Anglican tradition where you get around and you shake people's hands and you greet them peacefully. You might even say, peace be with you. Um, and we stopped doing it for a bit because it wasn't intergenerational. Basically what happened when we did the greeting of the peace a few years back was that people would go to their best friends and give them a giant hug and completely blank anyone they didn't know. <laughs> and so that's not the point of the greeting of the peace. Greeting of the peace is a great opportunity to mix in. So what we're going to do now is share the greeting of the peace and I encourage you to take the opportunity 
just to go and shake the hand of someone outside your age group. Say good day. See if you can learn their name if you don't know it. Got some words on the screen. You said a yellow. We are the body of Christ. His spirit is with us. The peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you. Take a couple of minutes to get around and greet people. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.